Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. I know that uh, not only is there full calendar and schedule, uh, but we threw a couple other hindrances in front of you. You probably had to navigate a few puddles outside, find a place to park. You probably had to navigate a live nativity scene out there with a trailer, all kind of stuff. So the fact that you made your way here, we're grateful even more than usual. As a side note, live nativity is put on by the folks who had worshipped here for decades before we had come. There's, I think, another showing tonight at 7 o'clock, so you might want to swing by for that. Uh, But I am so grateful to get a chance to gather. I want you to know that we have hoped or desired or prayed for this time, that it would be an encouragement to you. We believe that more than anything that, that we put on, that God can and does desire to meet us when we are in his presence. And our hope would be that you are encouraged, that you find that God is moving and transforming you in a way that uh, only he can. And that's the way we've been praying, and I hope that you would as well. I'm going to ask you to turn in a Bible to Isaiah chapter 40, if you have one with you. And as you turn there, I want to point out a couple of things. A couple of things before we turn to Isaiah 40, before we look at it specifically, let me ask you to put a couple of little pins on your calendar. I know that Christmas is coming and you're likely full, full up for the next number of weeks. You probably know how every moment's going to be spent. But if you're thinking ahead or looking ahead, a couple of things. First, January 9, 16, and 23, we are going to come together on Sunday evenings again. This has become a tradition for us. So Sunday evenings, we call Sunday night church at 5.30 on those evenings, 9, 16, and 23. We get together for a meal. We have a time of teaching and interaction that's more interactive than it would be on a Sunday morning, usually time for question and answers. And then more than that, it's a great time for you to get to know one another in the church. Uh, You are going to meet and get to interact with people on a Sunday night like that that you didn't know existed because they go to a different service than you. Or get this, you might not know they exist because they sit in a different part of the building than you. You're all creatures of habit, and I know this, and so I can pinpoint where about you're going to sit. And some of you had no idea the wonderful people that are just right over there. And so on a Sunday evening, you might get to bump into one another. So that would be that. Secondarily, on January 9th as well, after each of the services in the morning, on the 9 a.m. and the 1045, there will be a member meeting. So it's going to be tucked in right at the end of the service. We'll do our best to, uh, to fit it in toward the end of the service, but a member meeting on January 9th, both at 9 and 1045. You'll get more info about this in the, in the coming days, but I wanted to start putting a pin in your calendar if that is possible. Isaiah chapter 40, I'm going to read the first five verses in just a moment. I want to remind you why we chose Isaiah to consider and think about this time, this time of year where we remember what it was for God's people to wait, for them to wait on the coming of the Messiah, and then for us to rejoice in the coming of the Son of God, and for us as God's people to await the fullness of what he has brought with him. And Isaiah is a reminder to us that even in the midst of the worst of circumstances, that God is committed to consistently speaking hope. He brings promises even in the most difficult times. He comes alongside us to tell us, continue on, keep going, I'm here and I'm for you. He is faithful to light the smallest of candles even in the darkest of times. And so Isaiah's ministry is to keep in front of God's people a reminder of who he is and what good there is to come. So we chose different portions. And if you remember last week, we were in Isaiah 11. So we fast forwarded now through a bunch of 
the history of God's people, and we are going to read for five verses in Isaiah chapter 40 to look at the way that God speaks comfort. He speaks good things, promises, even in the worst of times. What comes right before this, Isaiah 38 and 39, are really sort of promises of doom. They are concerning envoys that are coming from Babylon. If you know the history of Israel, that's not a good thing. In the future days, they would be carried off into exile. Babylon, in many ways, demonstrates a kind of failure, the darkest of the dark moments. And then right in the midst of that, we find Isaiah chapter 40. God's insistence on speaking light into darkness or speaking hope into difficulty. I'm going to read the first five verses. I'd love for you to follow along, and then we're going to stop and pray. This is Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's take a moment and pray. God, I ask that we would be able to see. You promised that in coming days your glory would be revealed. We would see it together. We thank you for the togetherness that we have in Christ. And I pray that our dim vision, our need of AIDS, that in some small way it would be removed from us and we'd see clearly that we could hear, have attentive ears. God, I ask that this morning we'd be more alive, more alert, more awake to your grace to us. We are counting your kindnesses. The fact that we're living and breathing and here inhabiting this day that you've made is a, is a massive one. But even in the few short hours that we've been stirring, we have missed a thousand of your mercies to us. So God, help us. We don't want to be those who are dull or obstinate or ignorant. We want to hear from you, to know you. And we're going to need your help for that because none of us are all that impressive. God, we bring doubt and discouragement and sin. So we're leaning, we're trusting. Holy Spirit, come. Not based on our merit, but give us a standing. A standing, a confidence. God, we call you Father this morning, and so our fear is based in reverence and love, not trembling. Thank you for being for us. And we ask you now to speak in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been asking the last couple of weeks, you know, the, the idea of Advent was about God's people waiting and then now God's people waiting. And so I've asked the obvious question. You see, I think this is one of the little keys to life is to avoid as often as possible assuming the obvious. Because if you assume the simple things, the things that are obvious, you're going to end up missing most of the foundation of your life. It could be totally gone and you didn't know it. And so I've been asking the obvious question. If someone said to you, oh, Advent's about waiting, well, what are they waiting for? Or what are you waiting for? 
And I asked a couple weeks ago in the biggest sense of the question, what are you waiting for? Almost an existential crisis kind of what are you waiting for? Whether or not your Christmas was big enough, do you really understand what God has done in Christ? Have you stepped back and are you waiting for a big enough result that everything could change? That everything has changed because Christ has come and will furthermore change eternally. Then last week we asked and answered the question a little bit differently. What are you waiting for? We talked about the person of Jesus. So if you were going to wait for someone and have a meeting somewhere, you didn't know what they looked like, the Bible gives us markers. What are we waiting for? Who are we looking for? Well, we're looking for the one who comes in the power of the Spirit and then operates in this world in the power of the Spirit and then offers that same Spirit to us. We want spiritual life. We wait for and come in the name of Jesus because in Him there is life. Not mere ritual, not tradition, but spiritual life. That is what marks the Son of God. It's what I'm waiting for. It's why we gather. I want the life of God. This morning I want to ask and answer the same question, but a little bit more tangibly. Perhaps you may be even tempted to think a little more selfishly. I want to answer the question, what are we waiting for? What are you waiting for? By saying, well, I want what Jesus gives. I'm waiting for what he brings. In other words, I'm going to use Isaiah 40 to talk about the gifts that Jesus gives us. And I think that's a fitting way to look at it because after all, it is Christmas. Have you ever felt the tension of Christmas being about spiritual things and peace and harmony and love, and yet it is so commercialized? Have you ever felt this tension? You ever, as a parent, wanted to give good gifts to your kids, but you think to yourself, oh man, I don't want them to be a brat. Like, why am I I'm giving them so much stuff, but I want them to be grateful for what they already have? How does this work? And maybe it feels a little out of whack. The reality is, is that no matter what, I believe it's designed by God that gifts are a part of this season. He gave his son, obviously as a gift, but then Jesus brings gifts with him, and I think it's totally fine for us to anticipate them. And so I'd ask you the question, what gifts are you waiting for? Do you remember what it was like as a child to have a Christmas wish list? You just couldn't sleep at night because you couldn't wait for it to come? I distinctly remember my brother and I, one Christmas waiting. You see, we had spent years and I felt like our family was behind the curve. We had been in the barren wasteland of technological depravity. Other people for years had, had enjoyed the world, the excitement of Mario and his frisky fellow plumber, Luigi. Other children knew what it was like to hunt ducks in their living room. But for years, we had waited. And we wanted the gift so I remember a Christmas morning opening gifts and waiting and hoping and not much came. And then meanwhile, my little sister next to us seemed to be opening everything. Oh, thank you. A full working kitchen. Oh, thank you. 17 dollhouses. Another pony. I mean, that's what it felt like to us. My parents basically wrapped up coal is what it seemed like to us. And we were just kind of done. And then my parents said, well, I want you to look out the front window. This is strange. 
And we wander over to the window and we look, and I grew up on a farm where my grandparents lived right next to us. And there between six and seven in the morning, trudging across the snow were my grandparents all bundled up. And over his shoulder, my grandpa has a big package. He's just walking it across the snow. And I'll tell you, I love my grandfather. He passed some years ago. He was a hero of mine, someone that I wanted to be. There was so much about his person. He was a gift to me. But what I wanted on that morning was what he carried. I wanted what he brought with him. And I would make the argument that it was my parents' design, their delight for me, that it was, there wasn't a conflict between the person bringing the gift and the gift itself. In fact, it would have been strange if he would have walked in with the gift, and my grandpa comes in, gets all of his, you know, it's winter, snow, gets all the boots off and everything in the little room there, puts down the gift, and if I had been so principled and ethical and wonderful as a person, if I had said, well, grandfather, I am not interested in only the things you bring. Tell me tales of your youth. If I had said that and wanted him to tell me about himself to prove that I loved him, eventually, maybe even very quickly, my parents would have said, receive the thing. Get what he brought. Enjoy it. And we wouldn't have needed the encouragement because after all, I was the kind of child who wanted the stuff. We joyfully opened the package and fell headlong into the world of Nintendo Entertainment Systems, and we were so excited. And so I believe that in this little illustration, you know the perfect moments where it seems like you get it, where you're able to give the gift and it's, a, it's an accumulation of love and the relationship's not spoiled and the kid doesn't seem to be a brat and they're still grateful and they say thank you and they're delighting in the thing. I think there's little glimpses where we realize that it's possible to receive a gift as an extension of our love for the giver and to receive through the gift the relationship offered with the person giving. I believe that our relationship with gifts and commercialism, though we do make idols of what God gives, many of us would admit that what God gives, we're tempted to make idols out of them. We totally forget that he's the giver. We know that's possible. But where we're hesitant and where we get this wrong, I believe it is the fallenness of our nature that makes the economy of gifts and giver broken. It is not God. That God has designed the economy of good gifts flowing down from a giver, from a heart of love, to be the most natural and wonderful way that we relate. We must not at Christmas time separate what Jesus is as a person, as the gift of God, from what he brings with him. You do not have to over-spiritualize this or feel guilty for saying, well, I want what Jesus brings. In fact, I think it delights him. I think that there is a way that at Christmas time it honors us to lay out in front of us all that Jesus brings. It's one of the delights of this season. You remember when you finally met up with your friends on like the 28th because no one had school and you rode your bike to the one spot where you had to meet? Or maybe it was just me. Back then we had to say a week ahead of time, hey, next Friday, 2 p.m., be right there because you didn't have a cell phone or whatever else. And you finally meet up. What's the first thing the kids say after a Christmas time thing? What'd you get? What'd you get? What, what'd you get? What did you get? There's a delight in taking stock of what you got. 
like a kid after Halloween or something, right? What do they do that night? They sit down and they just like lay it all out. What's the haul? I got 17 Snickers. I got 14 Kit Kats. I got three Almond Joys. Throw them out. I got 17 Tootsie Rolls. You got, you got to take stock. You just say like, here's what it is. I'm delighting in what I got. And when grandma calls and she asks the kids about the gifts that she sent and she says, what did you get? It honors her for the kid to say, let me tell you what I got from you, grandma. I got the sparkly zoo zizzy thingy or whatever it was. And so what I want to encourage us to do, I want to take stock. I want to lay it all out. I want us to honor Jesus by remembering what it is that he gives. And I'm going to use Isaiah 40 as just one example. It's not even the best necessarily. It's certainly not the only place. But I want to point out through what Isaiah is offering to God's people back then and to us right now, just a few of the gifts. What does Jesus bring? And are we enjoying what he has brought with him? Because he came as an ultimate gift, but when he trudged down through and gave up what was rightfully his, this grasping equality with God, and what he put on human flesh, like trudging across the snow like my grandfather, he didn't just bring himself, he brought many gifts. So I'm going to point out a few. Maybe I'll just say them in simple words so that we can start to consider them. I'm going to say that it is a right and good thing for us to receive from Jesus and to rejoice in at least these things. One, comfort. Secondarily, a kind of peace that he brings. Third, I just want to use the word gathering, and I hopefully you understand what I mean. The gift of gathering or togetherness will be another one. And then finally, the idea of a word, clarity, a voice, is a gift that Jesus brings, and we're supposed to receive it. Let's start with the first one. I mentioned comfort. It's pretty obvious because Isaiah 40 starts with it. You know what you need sometimes when things seem bleak or when things really are bleak? You know what you need sometimes when you're tempted to give up, when you're just not sure that you could ever get through this sin that you said you'd stop a million times, when you weren't sure if you could take the diagnosis, when you just weren't sure if the betrayal would ever stop stinging, when you felt the weight of the world, when you were uncomfortable even with your own soul, it is not a small thing that what God wants to speak to the world through the coming of His Son is comfort, encouragement, a breath that says, go on, keep going, I'm with you and I'm for you. And so Isaiah 40 begins right at the end of difficulty, bad things to come, Babylon breathing down your neck. He says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. There's another place in the Old Testament where this phrase, speak tenderly, shows up. It's the idea of someone wanting to woo a woman. You ever seen a gruff man turn on the I want to woo a woman voice? I've had friends, and I won't name them, but maybe their name rhymes with Ryan Pang or something like that. <laughs> this friend had had a wooing woman voice. You'd hear it on the phone. It was a, it was a more tender voice. It's just a little higher and a little more entreating and a, a little more, ah, it's great. 
And there's a sense in which you know that someone needs encouragement or you desire, you care for their emotions and you want them to know you're with them and you're for them. That's the way that God is speaking when he sends his son. He's telling a broken world in the midst of their sins, I am coming with comfort. I'm speaking tenderly here. And when Jesus comes, that's what he says he's for. I'm going to read John 3, 16. Maybe you've you've probably heard that verse. Less known is verse 17 after, but it's a statement of what God has done by sending Jesus into the world. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For, is the part that's not as well known, for God did not send his, world, his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. What is God saying? He's saying, I sent my son into the world to comfort, not to condemn. I've said this before, that just because God came doesn't mean it's good news. It could be dad pulling the car over and saying, don't make me come back there in that back seat. You won't like what happens. You see, God could come in judgment and wrath anytime he wanted, but what did he do when he came with his son? He came with comfort. He came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. He came to speak tenderly. He came to give a word of encouragement and rest. And then that same son, as he grew older, what did he say he wanted to give to the world? Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What does he have on his shoulder? What's he walking across in front of the picture window? What's he ready to lay down in front of you? Jesus says, come to me if you're labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's times when it says that Jesus looked out across the crowds and he felt compassion for them because they were lost and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And it's that Jesus who comes to us and says, please come to me, I have gifts for you. I see you struggling, I see you burdened, you're about to give up, you're about to fall over, you can't quite make it. You look exhausted. Come to me, I have something to give you, I want to give you rest. God speaks comfort in his son and Jesus beckons us with encouraging, comforting words. So the question is not whether you have an academic, traditional, ritualistic, or a mental assent to the coming of the son of God. You know what honors him? To receive his gifts. We receive Jesus more fully by receiving him and what he brings. So stop laboring and stop carrying the heavy burdens and stop going on endlessly trying to prove yourself. Rest. Come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm dull and I'm ignorant and I want to learn from you. Would you teach me? Would you give me the gift of learning what you're like and who I am? Bring your yoke to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to exchange something. Do you have another one of those easy yokes? Could you give that to me? The question for Advent, what you're waiting for, is whether or not you are honoring Jesus by enjoying what he gives. Have you even received it? Or more than that, maybe you think, no, I remember this. I remember being encouraged by Jesus and his message one time. 
the question is, is it in the closet? Is it like the, uh, I'm trying to think of the quintessential gift that gets used on Christmas and then over, like the remote control car that will never work again. Man, is that thing fun for three hours on Christmas Day. And then nine months later, you can't find the right battery cover. The thing doesn't work anymore. And so many of us, I think, we come to the season year after year, we remember some of the stuff and we say, oh, that was fun back then. But I believe that it's delightful. It's an honoring thing. I think the father looks down and he's given his son and then he says, what about the gifts? Are you using them? Are you finding comfort in my son? Dig it out of the closet. Imagine giving a gift to someone and then over the course of time, you're delighted by knowing that they're using it. You ever receive something? Sometimes if I receive a gift from someone, I'll take a picture a month later of me using the thing and then send it back to them and say, thank you. Why do I do that? Because I want to honor them and to show them that I am putting to good use their intended love for me by using the thing. And I want you to know that for me to send a picture like that is tough because my motto has always been selfie-free since 03. So to take, a, to take a little selfie and be like, look, I'm reading the book. I'm eating the chocolates. Look at me with this ratchet. I've never ratcheted better than I'm doing right now. That is a way to put to use the gifts that he brings. So there's never been a better time. Is there a more obvious time to lay it all out and remember, what did Jesus give me and am I using it? And my guess is is that oftentimes we are content with our discontent and we trudge on through discouragement. And we could use a word of comfort, but we don't go to him. And I believe that he would remind us again, no, 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 that's why I came. I I had it on my shoulder. I brought it all the way over there. I, I dropped it down in front of you. Receive comfort. Second, we find from Isaiah chapter 40 that when Jesus comes, what God speaks is a kind of peace. I'm going to make the argument that this is first and foremost mainly a peace with God, though it'll have reverberating effects down through all relationships. So Isaiah 40 tells us in verse 2, what are they, what's supposed to be spoken tenderly to Jerusalem? That her warfare is ended, her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. It is a good thing in the midst of difficulty when you doubt yourself, when you think, am I being punished for some wrongdoing? When no matter how much you try to believe that you're forgiven, guilt and shame and second guessing keep rearing their heads. It is the gift of Jesus to experience and to know peace. That your enmity with God has been ended. Your iniquity has been pardoned. What a phrase. Jesus brings with him the not guilty statement, a pardon from the governor to go free. There is a freedom to be experienced and received in Jesus that needs to be enjoyed. I love the idea here, the imagery that she has received, Israel has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. I think you can read this one of two ways. Someone might say, yeah, the punishment has been so severe that they've paid for it. They earned it. And I think that would be the wrong way to look at it. But instead, the idea here is that when we offer or confess our sins up to the Lord, that he moves toward us to pardon, 
And he somehow multiplies the worst of what we give him and gives us double mercies back. We offer sin, he gives us grace. I mentioned a number of weeks back in teaching in Romans, the vending machine that paid me. That's the kind of idea here. We offer something up to the Lord, namely our sins, and we get peace and pardon and mercy and multiplied grace back. And that ought to give us a sense of peace that can be found nowhere else. Every other philosophy of the world, every other religion of the world cannot answer the question, am I at peace with God? The best it can do is to say, well, I sure hope so. I'm going to try really hard. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I came to give you peace. Signed, sealed, delivered. He says in John chapter 14, nearing the end of his death to his disciples. John chapter 14, I'm going to start in verse 25. John 14, 25. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. When we come to Jesus and we lay out what he's given, one of the main things he wants to give is peace, an actual knowledge and experience of peace. Many times we're content to make peace with enmity. We are addicted to a low level of anxiety. We hold on to worry far too long. One more verse, just to put out. These are the words of Jesus. This is him saying, this is what I want to give to you. Here's my gifts. I came all this way. Here's my gifts. John 16, verse 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. The world, in the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You will look around at the world, you'll have tribulation, there will still be difficulty, but Jesus says, listen, take heart, be comforted, I came here to give you peace. The question is, are you experiencing this peace? Have you held on to your sin too long? Have you realized that you can know, you can both ask and answer the question, am I okay with God, with a definitive yes. Jesus came to give you peace. This third category of the thing that seems to be indicated here in Isaiah 40, I want to sort of get at in a couple of different ways. I could call it unity. So we've had comfort and peace, and I could call it unity or togetherness. Maybe the idea of gathered. And I want to point out something, that many of us have gotten over our need of stuff. At least the materialistic kind of stuff. You can't even think of something you want. I mean, it could be you're spoiled and you buy everything you want anyway. Or you just generally don't need stuff. But what I would point out is that you probably still want something. So imagine the grandmother who says, I don't have any need for these newfangled devices. I don't know how they work anyway. Then you ask her, no, but what do you really want? You know what she might say? Well, I'd like everyone who is scattered and far off, I'd like everyone to gather. Wouldn't that be great? I'd just love for them all to be together. I just want everyone together. You ever seen the beaming matriarch of the family at Christmas time or a Thanksgiving gathering? Everyone is navigating conversations awkwardly. 
asking about, you know, careful, they're, they're tiptoeing around careful landmines in the conversation, and you look over and there's always someone in the room just beaming. Isn't it great? Isn't it just wonderful? We're all here together. Everyone's gathered. That's what they really wanted. It seems to indicate here in Isaiah 40 that one of the things that's promised in Jesus is a kind of unity, a kind of gathering that otherwise is impossible. It says that in the desert there will be a highway, that every valley valley will be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low, uneven grounds level, rough places a plain, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. The idea here means that there will not be unequal access to God. No one will get the path that says, oh man, I got to climb over 17 mountains to get to God. Easy for you to say, you're in a rich valley. That one day, the gift that Jesus will bring is a kind of unifying of all mankind. Doesn't mean that all will be with Christ forever, but Scripture tells us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and everyone will see what God has given us in Jesus Christ. There will be no more fighting over the high ground. No more jockeying for position. No more racing to the front of the line. No more difference of access to God. No more agreeing to disagree. What a statement. The glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. Tell me how many things right now you imagine that all flesh see together. We can't see anything together. Is up, up, or is up, down? Somebody will argue it. Is sideways, sideways, or straight? Wait for the argument. Is that science, or is this science? I promise I won't go there. What do we see together is the question. What do we see together? And the promise of Jesus seems to be, listen, I came into the world once, I'm going to come again later, and here's what I'm bringing with me. I'm bringing a unifying around me. The gospel tells us that one day Jesus will be lifted up and all will look and all will be put in their place. Jesus will eventually be the factor the one unifying factor of all humanity for all time in every place, unlike anyone else. He wants to give that gift of togetherness. You ever given the gift to your kids and the thing that delighted you most is that it got them working together? You know, there's some gifts that are very individual. It's like giving each of your children uh, headphones and their own iPods. You guys remember iPods? And then for the rest of the next two weeks, they go and sit in a corner by themselves. And so maybe the next year you learn your lesson and you scheme for a long time and you say, I want to give something that's more like a family gift. I want them to agree on it. And then you just nail it. You get the one board game in existence that everyone likes. And for days afterward, you just go in and you peek around the corner and there they all are together. And they're laughing and they're working to solve whatever pandemic disease is there, whatever it is. And they're just working together and you say to one another, oh, I love that gift. It just brought everyone together. And I believe that there's a kind of promise in Christ. In fact, what we're asking of the world is for them to see what has been given in Christ. That there is no other explanation for the unity that we have together. You might say to your friends, oh, you got to come to my church. You wouldn't believe the people there. I would never hang out with them otherwise. 
We really have nothing in common except for the biggest thing we have in common. You wouldn't believe what God has given to bring us together. And so you look around the globe. You know what's going to happen over the next week? In nearly every imaginable language, in nearly every imaginable place, with all kinds of traditions and colors and smells and bells and whistles, people celebrating Jesus. A kind of togetherness. I think the father looks down and he says, look at this. What a beautiful thing it is. Like, like oil down Aaron's beard when my children are together. Togetherness. We experience some of it now in the church, the kingdom being built here on earth, and then one day we'll be in fullness. This is the gift that Jesus brings. We have peace with God as a gift to be enjoyed, and eventually we will have peace with one another, dividing walls, hostility torn down. Now finally, and I don't think it's finally, I think this whole book, you might as well just shake it out to see all that Jesus gives. I'm giving a few examples I want to just start the process. I'm asking the question, what did we get? What did we get? Let's lay it out. And Isaiah chapter 40 says, another thing that we got is the sure word of God. Verse 5 ends by saying, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And then famous and much quoted in the New Testament, verses 6, 7, and 8, describe the word of the Lord which stands forever. In Jesus Christ, God has given a sure word. Have you ever just wanted to know something for sure? Just what's the answer? Do I need to do this or not? Should I take the class or not? Do I date the person or not? Is this a good career or not? Is that the right medicine or not? Just tell me. Should I invest in the thing or not? Buy or sell or not? It's been kind of an in vogue phrase these days to say something like this. Clarity is kindness. Because we have a world with a lot of voices, just a cacophony of just information everywhere. And here's what we have as a gift in Jesus. Jesus comes and he brings with him a sure word from God. He says, do you want to know what God needs and what God wants and what God desires and the fact that he's with you? Then he has spoken in me. Hebrews chapter 1 says that long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs." People want a word. They want direction. They want guidance. They want a spiritual experience. They want to hear from God. And when Jesus comes, he brings a more definitive word than has ever been spoken in the universe. If the prophets, even Isaiah, were but whispers in small ways that God peeked through, Jesus comes and he says, I am the very word of God. The clarity that he brings, the booming voice the assurance of God's love given to us in His Son. I just want to know what the will of God is for the world. Look at Jesus. I just want to know if God can or if He has forgiven me. Listen and look to Jesus. I just want to know if everything's going to be okay. Am I going to make it? Listen and look 
to Jesus. He's the very Word of God, a sure voice in a time of unbelievable uncertainty. God has spoken. What a gift. And I don't want the gift of God's voice in the person of Jesus to be the kind of thing that we remembered one time. I remember that. I listened to what God said in Jesus. I believed it. I put faith in there. And that's nice that I knew that back then. But now I got to find current event voices or personal voices or whatever it is. And at Christmas time, we reorient, we posture ourselves, we open our ears again to say, I remember this. What a gift that Jesus is the very word of God, spoken then and speaking now. He still speaks. He still upholds the universe by the word of his power. He is not a dead voice, a dead prophet. But Jesus lives forevermore. He is present here, speaking through his word, speaking by the table, speaking in the testimony of the saints and in the baptisms they demonstrate in front of one another. He's speaking in the traditions and in the songs, and he's speaking through the prayers that we offer to him. Jesus, the very voice of God. So this Christmas, this Advent, I want to answer the question, what are we waiting for? It's okay to say, I want to honor Jesus by remembering what he's given I want to open my hands, put myself in a posture to say, you know what? I need to enjoy comfort more. Christ came to give it. Well, I want it from him. To ignore the comfort of Jesus, to say to Jesus, whom you claim to love and honor, to say, no, thank you. This Christmas, let's remember that Jesus came and he carried over his shoulder and plopped down in front of us peace with God. That you can know your sins are forgiven. You've been pardoned. You've been given double mercy, double grace flowing over in place of your sins. Jesus has come and he gives us a kind of unity. People in places and times and traditions, different socioeconomic status, different pursuits and interests. Some of you are math and science and chess nerds and some of you think chess is only good if you could like throw it at each other and play dodgeball and sports or fish. All of us unified together in Christ. And finally, in a world that speaks, it's a, it's a world of talking heads. That's what we are. We have designed a world of talking heads. And Jesus reminds us that he has come to be the very word of God. So let's not leave the gifts unopened. Let's not have a weird, over-spiritualized thing where we honor God by only thinking about Him. I don't care about any of this stuff. I think He's begging us and saying, no, 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 I brought the stuff. Enjoy it and lean in and honor me by receiving the gifts. Let's pray. God, thank You for being the kind of Father. You describe Yourself as a kind of Father who gives gifts to his children. So I pray that as we receive Jesus, that we'd be careful in these days, careful to not neglect the gifts that he brought with him. I pray this morning for encouragement, a word of comfort. God, for those who are suffering, saddled with 
sin and doubt and discouragement. Jesus, speak comfort. I ask for peace. Holy Spirit of God, would you take from Jesus and give to us. Remind us that no matter what tribulation we face, that you have overcome the world and that we are found in you. God, rid us of crippling anxiety of the obsession we have with worry and work and labor. We pray for peace. God, I ask for more togetherness. I pray that we would not focus so much on our disagreements, the ways we see the world, but more and more reveal your glory so that we would see together what we have in Christ. And God, I ask that you would speak. Help us to not neglect your voice. Thank you for a sure word, for clarity, for giving us a path. You've not remained silent, and for that we are thankful. Help us to listen, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.